Hey there, it's George, one of the authors here at Uncommon Commons. The season two finale is coming up on March 21st, after which we'll be taking a short break to regain what little sanity remains left in the world. But we have some big plans. Oh boy, do we ever. Starting with another Q&A. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer, please send them to zero, the number zero, nullstreet at gmail.com. That's zero, nullstreet at gmail.com. We'll be accepting questions up until the finale. Also, watch our Patreon space. New content coming soon. We would also like to take this opportunity to announce guests of the Uncommon Commons. During our hiatus, we will be reading listener-submitted stories. If you're interested, please send your stories again to Zero Knoll Street with guest in the subject line. Full information can be found on Twitter, Tumblr, and Discord. We'll be back from our break May 2nd with a brand new season and plenty of new content. Stay tuned, and remember, nothing is real. Uncommon Commons is a horror anthology podcast written and recorded by George Plank and Alex Vitale. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. Today's story is Readmittance, written by George Plank. No, 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 no! This is not happening right now. Come on, Jane, get up! Okay, focus. Check your bracelet. WWJD. What would Jane do? Honestly, she probably would have shot me first. Then what? Hide the body, probably? Not a lot of nooks and crannies in the void. Maybe somewhere in the apartment? Well, the restructuring made that a nightmare. I don't even know if I could find the pool again if I wanted to. Not that I want to. I think there's a mirror I could hide her behind on the second floor down a dark hallway that's behind a secret door you can only get to if you knock three times on the hollow part of the wall. No, 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 no. Focus. I'm doing a lot of talking for someone who is by themselves. Right, Jane? Oh, yeah. Jane had a chainsaw. Maybe I could... No, that is not an option, because if I use a chainsaw, I'm going to make a mess, and I don't know the first thing about cleaning carpets. Where would I even rent a carpet cleaner? The hardware store? Jane's went out of business, and she's dead. So she can't open it up again. And I hate hardware stores. Ugh. Aw. It's like she's with me now. I'll keep you posted. Actually, could you do me a favor? Uh, Could you find a carpet about... Oh... One Jane in length? Oh, Mitzi. I hope you got all that. Now, in the meantime, should I embalm her? No, no, she specifically told me three weeks ago that she wanted to be aquamated. Or buried deep in the woods for animals to eat. Do carpets decompose? I always assumed she'd be cremated by a horde of screaming villagers. They know! They can hear the thumping of the heart under the floorboards. Oh, (laughs) wait, no, that's... That's just, um... That's just Derek. I'm just being paranoid. Besides... Cops can't arrest you through the Postal Service. Can they? Hey, Jane, uh, is it still a crime to read your mail if you're dead? Say nothing if you want me to read your mail. Well, she didn't say nothing, so I'll respect her wishes. Looks like I got a story, too. 
Maybe that'll help me take my mind off of the cold-blooded murder. Maybe. It was only nine in the morning, and Need Park was already abuzz with the sounds of guests queuing up for their favorite ride or waiting to get their first taste of a woofy whip. Jerry was just glad to be sitting on something that he wasn't driving. The trip in had taken him nearly two hours, so while he would soon be screaming on some of the fastest coasters in the country, he enjoyed just taking in the sights for a moment. She noticed him first. They had been planning this meetup for about a week now, but this would be the first time they ever met face to face. He was easy enough to spot, even through the ever-increasing crowd of the park, due mostly to his comically bright Hawaiian shirt he wore over his light blue Need Park shirt. He spotted her approaching the bench and rose to meet her. Just as she had said, she had a white bow in her hair that kept a few stray strands out of her eyes. She looked just like her photos, but even then her smile seemed even more dazzling. Jerry? Elaine! The two of them embraced. Even though they had never met in person, it felt to Jerry like they had always known each other. It's so good to finally meet in person. Yeah, how was your drive-in? Oh, not too bad, he shrugged. I got a few podcast episodes in. Uh, thank you for recommending that to me, by the way. Yeah, no problem. There was a moment of silence between them that was only made awkward by the child crying over his spilled woofy whip not five feet away from them. Luckily, a team member swooped in with a fresh whip and a large smile. So, what would you like to do first? Hmm, Jerry thought for a moment. Do you like roller coasters? Uh, I'm not the biggest fan. Oh, good, me neither, Jerry said. You know, I hear there's no better way to get a lay of the land than via the Need Express. Need Express? Yeah, it's the train that runs around the park to different stations. Is it just me, or does every theme park have one of those? Every park worth mentioning. Elaine smiled, and Jerry smiled back. The two of them were sharing a moment that Jerry didn't want to end just yet. He offered out his hand, and Elaine took a firm grasp as the two made their way to the station at the front of the park. At this time of day, there weren't too many people lined up to ride the train. That was reserved for the late evening, when you're clear on the other side of the park and don't feel like walking all the way to the exit. The train was tended by an older gentleman. His white hairs poked from underneath his blue and white hat. His overalls stained in various spaces with oil and torn from years of use. Some flashing lights on the console caught Jerry's attention. It seemed that even though this train had an engineer, it was entirely capable of driving itself. The two of them took a seat close to the front. They hadn't really talked about whether or not this was a date, but the seats of the train gave them excuse to huddle close together, at least for the time being. It seemed like every couple seconds Jerry would point at something seemingly innocuous along the route and explain how it's actually an elaborate Easter egg or some variety of fun fact. Did you know that all Woofy Whips are made from ingredients sourced right in the park? When they were developing the land, they came across a rare flower that caused several of the contractors to faint. When they came to, they described the sweetest, most effervescent scent they had ever experienced. So Albert Neat sent a team to collect some of the petals. He steeped it into a tea and tried it himself. He really liked the flavor, but knew that park-goers would need something cold to brave the hot summer days, so when the park first opened in 1950-something, they poured the syrup from the flower over shaved ice. It was an immediate success. So why are they called Woofy Whips? There are two schools of thought about that. Uh, most think that it was named after Need's most popular meetable character, and he is on most of the t-shirts and hats after all. Others think that the snack is named after the scientific name for the flower, Wolfilium, and... And I'm absolutely boring you right now. Jerry was suddenly very self-conscious about just how long he had been talking. No, no, not at all. It's honestly kind of cute how you know all that. I bet you come here all the time. Jerry chuckled. Actually, I haven't been here since I was a kid. But you know how it goes. You watch one video on theme parks and suddenly your whole recommended feed is nothing but park history videos. 
but you don't live that far away. Why haven't you ever just come up by yourself for a weekend or so? Um, Jerry considered his responses very carefully. In reality, he hadn't been since he was a kid because it was the last place he remembered seeing his parents before they disappeared. What sort of people just abandon a kid at a theme park? He looked up and met Elaine's waiting stare. I guess I was just waiting to go with the right person, he said with a big smile. She laughed and latched onto his arm. The engineer pulled on one of the many strings at the front of the engine and a series of bells rang out. Jerry leaned forward and tried to get a glimpse of the tunnel. Check this out. You see that tunnel up ahead? Yeah? See how dark it looks? Watch this. The train disappeared into the darkness, and the pair were engulfed in shadow for only a moment before emerging on the other side into the bright light of day. Elaine turned around to see car after car emerging from the inky blackness of the tunnel. How? It's one of the cooler illusions in the park. No one knows exactly how it works. Apparently, if you ask any of the team members about it, they'll feign total ignorance. Some will even deny the tunnel's existence at all. The train pulled into Memory Lane Station, and the pair debated whether to stay on to West Thrush before ultimately disembarking and heading towards Swashbuckler's Reef. The line moved slowly, but gave them the perfect opportunity to chat for a bit. So, you almost took a job here? Yeah, Elaine said. One of my friends in college was a haunt one year during the Halloween season, and I almost auditioned with them. Well, what happened? Plans changed and I got called away. I don't think it would have worked anyway. Apparently, they broke character once in front of park staff, and they were let go. By the end of the season, there were only a handful of haunts in the area at all. Yikes, that's a bit extreme. You know, Jerry was about to rattle off another fun fact when he saw some motion coming from just outside the line. Over on a small patch of grass stood a meetable character with brown matted fur, a large smile, and pointed ears, which Jerry immediately identified as Ferdinand. He was looking right at Jerry, waving one of his furry hands as if he was saying hello. Jerry looked around, and it seemed like he was the only one to notice. He awkwardly smiled and waved back. He watched as Ferdinand stopped waving at him. A child who saw the large furry creature ran up and wrapped his arms around his leg. Ferdinand leaned down and wrapped his arms around the child. He gently tousled his hair before leaning in. From where Jerry stood, it looked like he was whispering something in the child's ear. Both he and the child looked over where Jerry stood. The child looked at him with wide-eyed horror before bursting into tears. Ferdinand just stared with his large, black eyes and smiled. He then leaned in and whispered something else to the child, who stopped crying and started smiling, in the excited way that children do when they think they're about to get something good. Hello, Earth to Jerry! Jerry snapped back to where he was. Elaine smiled and motioned for him to look behind him. Sure enough, the line had moved considerably since the last time he looked. Embarrassed, he slunk forward and into the show building. Where did you go? She playfully intoned. Sorry, I... Thought I saw someone I knew. The rest of the morning passed relatively uneventful. The two of them boarded their boat and enjoyed the pirate scenes played out by motion figures made back in the 60s. Elaine was fully engrossed in the scene, and Jerry tried his best to hum along with the tune the pirates were singing. They went over the drop and into a big splash. About halfway down, he realized he could have taken Elaine into the Tunnel of Love, if only because he had a fun fact about the skeletons there. They decided to dry off on the swing ride before walking down the midway. On either side of them were booths, and people trying to lure them over to play their games. Some, like the milk bottle toss, looked like older turn-of-the-century type carnival games. They'd probably be packed up and moved if they had to. But others seemed like they were built to last. Jerry noticed a large plush Ferdinand hanging from the hooks on one of the stalls. Want me to try and win it for you? You don't have to. It was too late. He had already approached the booth. How much? For you, my good fellow, five bucks. 
Jerry slammed a $5 bill on the counter and was handed a water gun. Three rows down, a kid was also trying his hand at the game. On your mark, get set, spray! The game attendant turned on the water and both guns sprang to life. It took a bit of time, but Jerry was eventually able to hit the mark. Water slowly filled his tube, ever approaching the red victory line. Just as it was about to hit, an alarm rang out, indicating that someone else had won. The kid jumped up and down while the attendant grabbed the plush for him. Jerry's own tube slowly emptied while a pre-recorded clown laugh mocked him for losing. Hey, it's okay. I would have hated carrying that thing around all day anyway. Yeah, yeah, Jerry sulked. His stomach growled and he checked his watch. And it just now occurred to him that with the drive up there this morning, he had completely skipped breakfast. Do you want to grab something to eat? Uh, sure. Let's see what they have. Unfortunately, not much, as they would come to soon learn. The malt shop was completely full and had a wait time of several hours, and the line for either a woofy whip or an oversized turkey leg stretched around certain parts of the park. You know what? I think I saw an interesting restaurant on the way here. Maybe five minutes away from the park? Elaine offered. Is that something you'd like to try? Uh, sure. Sounds good to me. Theme park food is always so expensive anyway. They made their way towards the gate. Just to the right of where they entered was a walkway with a plywood cutout of Woofy with a speech bubble that read, Sad to see you go. Can I stamp your hand? A voice came from just to the left of the gate. Jerry hadn't seen them at first, so he nearly jumped out of his skin, but played it cool. My hand? Yeah, if you want to get back in later, you can just show the stamp and they'll let you through. Sounds good to me, Elaine said. We'll probably be back before closing. The two of them held out their hands, and the attendant stamped each of them in turn. It was fairly small on his hand, so Jerry couldn't make out exactly what it was supposed to be. It looked like a black blob of some kind, with the name of the park printed underneath. It was only visible for a moment before a team member waved a pen light over it that emitted a purplish glow, causing it to disappear. Almost as if they could read Jerry's thoughts in confusion, the team member piped up. We can see the stamp with this, and not to worry, all park staff have one of these, he said, waving the pen light back and forth. Cool, thanks. And with that, the two of them were off. Just as Elaine had said, there was a delightful restaurant close to the park. Instead of eating there, the two of them took their food to a sunny area with a bench and had a picnic. The two of them ate and talked and strolled through the local scenery of the town. They ended up having such a good evening that they completely lost all track of time. Before they knew it, the sun was setting and the warm summer air was cooling down. Jerry walked Elaine back to their cars. I had a great time today. Me too. Uh, sorry we didn't spend all that much time in the park. Did you want to go back? Nah, I probably should get going. It's a long drive home, after all. The two of them stood in silence for a moment, neither of them sure who would make the next move. Jerry leaned in and kissed Elaine on the cheek before wishing her good night. For almost the entire drive home, Jerry had a big smile on his face. That went really well. He couldn't remember the last time he had a... Well, let's call it what it was, a date that went that well. The drive was long, but he didn't mind. He listened to a few more episodes of his podcast, maybe catching only every third word or so. As soon as he got home, he started getting ready for bed. The park was great, but being outside on a summer day can only be so enjoyable. He let the water heat up before getting into the shower himself. Just a quick rinse was all he needed before he was going to collapse into bed. Despite how early they left the park, he was still exhausted. He looked down for a moment at his hand, trying to make out the faintest bit of the stamp that he knew was there. But he couldn't find a single hint of it. He ran some water over his hand. He had no way of knowing if he had just washed it off or not. Not without one of those special pen lights. He turned off the water and put on his pajamas. True to form, he collapsed in bed and covered himself up. 
For just a moment, he stared up at the ceiling before he could feel his eyelids growing heavier. He lay on his back and could almost feel the gentle rocking of the boats at Swashbuckler's Reef. The memory of the ebb and flow gently rocking side to side. He was almost fully asleep before he was jolted awake by the sound of a cannon being fired right next to his head. His eyes shot open and he sat upright, nearly tipping the small boat he found himself in. Carried along by a gentle current, he found that he was back on the pirate raid again. He looked around, but all that succeeded in doing was rocking his boat even more than he already had. Strange. He remembered the boat being bigger earlier that day. As he rounded the next corner of the ride, he heard the familiar music of the pirate song. When he was a kid, he swore he knew all the words, but now he couldn't make out a single lyric. Probably because of this particular moment, there weren't any lyrics. In fact, there weren't any pirates. All the figures that would have been running around and pillaging the sets were all noticeably absent. He was left alone with his thoughts and the sound of the ride's score. Soon, even the soundtrack was leaving him. Slowly but steadily, the sound of music was being drowned out by the sound of rushing water. The boat's pace was quickening, and Jerry leaned forward to see what lay ahead. A little further, water was being sprayed upward from the impact from the drop. It was a lot louder than he recalled. He scanned the backdrops and set pieces until he saw the red T from the glowing exit sign. Time for an in-show exit, he said to himself as he hopped from the boat, thinking he was the coolest person ever. A couple seconds later, the boat went over the falls, dashing to pieces on the rocks below. He opened the door to the outside. As a theme park fan, he took a moment to appreciate the fact that part of Swashbuckler's Reef was hidden away inside the mountain facade from the Mountain King coaster. As someone trying to leave, he didn't appreciate that he would have to climb his way down the mountain in order to get onto the thoroughfare. Slowly but surely, he inched his way down the craggy facade until he was back on the ground level. He traced a similar route to the one he took with Elaine earlier that day. From Swashbuckler's Reef, he made his way to the Midway. The central path of the circular design of the park made it the quickest way to get to the gate. He'd figure out how to get home as soon as he figured out how to leave. One thing at a time. The park was different in the dark. Where once he couldn't walk anywhere without accidentally bumping elbows with other excited park-goers, now he would be hard-pressed to find another elbow. Secondly, in the dark, all the life disappeared from the park and was replaced by the oppressive shapes and harsh angles. <laughs> he heard the mocking laugh of the pre-recorded clown from over to the side. He jumped back, nearly tripping over his own feet. Suddenly, all the lights of the midway came on at once. Dazzling reds and yellows danced in asynchronous patterns. Jerry could loudly hear the clicking of the lights turning on and off. These were soon paired by another set of clicking. Quick-paced footsteps clicked against the pavement as they made their way to Jerry's location. Jerry saw the shadow of a person moving against the inky darkness of the rest of the park before he could make out the rest of them. But when they collapsed into his arms, there was no question. Elaine? Jerry! What are you doing here? They both asked at the same time. She explained that she woke up in the Memory Lane station and had been wandering around the park looking for a way out for a while. When she saw the lights of the Midway, she made her way over, and that's how she was just now running into Jerry. He took her by the hand. The gate is this way. Come on, just a little further. The lights from the Midway bore down on them, making their immediate area very visible to them. What they could not see was the line of figures waiting for them at the intersection. At first, they appeared to be little more than silhouetted blobs against the night sky. Jerry stopped when he saw them for what they were. There, preventing any further movement forward, was a line of waxy pirate figures. When on the ride, their movement hides a lot of the imperfections in their appearance. At this distance, Jerry could see that their skin was muddled and coated with something glossy. He would have gotten closer to examine them more if they hadn't started getting closer themselves. Step by step, the pirates inched closer to them. 
It didn't feel real until he felt Elaine tugging his arm to run away. He didn't need any convincing. The pair turned heel and headed towards the other end of the midway. When they reached the intersection, they looked to the left. A couple lights flickered and danced in the distance. They saw a small group of people running towards them. Behind them, a group of skeletons and cartoon animals gave slow but persistent chase. The neat express whistled in the distance. Jerry estimated that it might have just left memory lane. Quick, follow me! He and Elaine ran towards the West Thrust Station. They could hear the pirates gaining on them, the squeak of their polymer joints as an ever-present reminder that they were right behind them. Between them and the pirates were about four other individuals. The train had just pulled into the station. Just a little further, guys! They jumped the turnstile and ducked all the dividers in line. The train whistle blew one more time. Steam built up in the pistons and metal groaned as the wheels began to turn. Slowly, the train pulled away. Jerry helped Elaine up onto the passenger car before jumping up himself. A few more members of their new party followed suit. One girl, who was breathing very heavily, was starting to lose ground. The train was beginning to speed up, and the horde was gaining on her. Jerry leaned over the edge of the back car. Come on, grab my hand! She reached out and just barely snagged his hand in the process. He would have fallen off if it had not been for someone else holding on to him around his middle and giving him some much-needed additional support. The group caught their breath. One of the others started crying. Why are we here? What are we doing here? I don't know. I thought I was just having a bad dream at first. I was just here today. Me too. Same here. At that, Jerry perked up. Were they all here that day? Let me see something. Jerry pulled a pen light out of his pocket and shone a purple light on all their hands. There, on the back of each of their hands, was an amorphous black shape with the words Need Park printed underneath. Jerry? Where did you get that pen light? Jerry stared at it for a moment in disbelief. I... I don't know. Hey, guys, one of the others interjected. I don't want to alarm anyone, but there's a really dark tunnel coming up. Don't worry, it's just an illusion, Elaine responded. Right, Jerry? Right. Jerry was still staring at the pen light when the train entered the tunnel. The park had been dark, lit only by the light of the silver moon. Now there wasn't even that. Shouldn't we have come out the other side by now? Elaine was right. The train had been in the dark for far too long. Jerry looked forward and couldn't see an end to the tunnel anywhere. It also felt as if the whole train was sloped like it was going downward and getting faster. Deeper and deeper they descended. Some of their ears popped from the extreme change in altitude. None of them were sure exactly what waited for them. The train began to slow down as it approached the glow of some white lights. When it came to a stop, they were in front of a cavernous portion of the tunnel. The whole area was lit by LED work lights. There were some platforms that ran around a pit that seemed to be filled with a bubbling volume of thick liquid that released a noxious gas. The gas parted, and from it emerged a man carrying a clipboard wearing a Need Park name tag. Hey there, Jer. Had trouble finding the place? You know, for a while I was afraid you weren't going to make it. Everyone in the train turned to look at Jerry. I'm... I'm sorry, do I know you? Uh, ah, that's right, the, the memory thing. Uh... You know what? Uh, it's been a while. Uh, my name is Hugh, and your... How shall I phrase this? Ah, talent acquisition. Jerry had no idea what he was talking about. Oh, yeah, uh, Albert would have been here himself, and that probably would have jogged your memory, but he had to take care of something with the Coast Project. No? Nothing? Eh, you'll see. Hugh pulled a piece of chalk out of his front shirt pocket and scribbled something on the wall. He touched his hand to the new shape, and suddenly shapes scattered all around the cavern started to light up. Hugh put on a pair of dark sunglasses and started making notes on his clipboard, looking up only to verify something about the people on the train. 
The entire cave structure shook like there was an earthquake. Bubbles rose to the surface of the liquid and popped and sputtered, sending more noxious fumes into the air. Something dark started to rise out of the pit, darker than the absence of light they had just come from. It hurt their eyes to even think about this darkness. Some screamed in terror. Others, at first glimpse, tried to leap from the train and run for it. It had no shape of its own, but it was as if darkness itself could be contained to a shape. Darkness extended from it and latched onto everything around it. Jerry just looked at it. And then he looked around at the others and their reaction to it. They could not even fathom what they were seeing, but... But he could. Maybe not in its entirety, but it was palatable. Like he had been told about it a long time ago. He had been told it a long time ago. He remembers it clearly. He had been waiting in line with his autograph book, hoping to see his favorite character. Ferdinand leaned over and whispered something to him. Something he couldn't tell anyone else, not even his... parents. That's who he came with that day. Why can't he remember them? When he tries, their faces are blurred out. He can't even remember their names. I bet you come here all the time. What Elaine had said to him earlier echoed through his mind. He did. Every opportunity he could. Memories came flooding back. The Ferris wheel, the Mountain King coaster, the malt shop. He had been here with a hundred, hundred faceless blurs in his memory. From middle school to the modern day. Even as his group on the train was whittled away, he couldn't remember the people he had seen not even a minute ago. Jerry! Elaine called as she disappeared into the darkness. Who did? No one. Never. Jerry wakes up in his bed and stares at the ceiling. His heart is racing. Did he just have a nightmare? He hasn't been able to remember his dreams lately. Probably for the best. He stares at his ceiling for a moment. His phone buzzes next to him. It's a text from Bethany. Hey, looking forward to this weekend. You wanted to go to Need Park, right? He shoots back a quick message. Yeah, I haven't gone to Need Park in forever. Well, that wasn't comforting at all. Ah, thank you, Mitzi. All right, let's get rolling. John, what are you doing with that carpet? Oh, you know, just hiding a body, Jim. <laughs> Oh, John. In that ugly rug? I hope it wasn't anyone I know. I would die of embarrassment. Well, don't just stand there. Take it outside. We don't want it stinking up the place. Meet me out back. Uncommon Commons is a podcast. It is written and recorded by George Plank and Alex Vitale, and the theme song is composed by Charles Adam Robinson. Our logo is designed by Sam Vitale. Our social media manager is Rebecca Tewksbury. Email us directly at zeronullstreet at gmail.com. Visit our socials or support us on Patreon in the link tree listed in the description below. Rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Stay. And remember, nothing is real. Hi, it's George. Just wanted to let you guys know that Uncommon Commons has a Patreon. For $1 a month, it gets you access to all of our bonus content, including the Common Area.
Hi there, I'm George. And I don't want to be here. I'm actively dying. How are you doing, George? I'm passively dying, thank you. Huh. For $100 a month, you will be rocketed into the void itself. What mere disassociation could not do, we will do for yeah. you. What is the scariest horror film you've ever seen? Garfield the movie. Interesting. Back <laughs> <No>. it up. <laughs> if I dropped you in Victorian England, you would be the definition of a madman and you'd be in bedlam in five seconds flat. I would be Sherlock Holmes, and I would be solving mysteries. <laughs> Plus, exclusive stories not available anywhere else, like Help Wanted. Thomas laid on his bed for what may have been hours. He had fallen asleep after letting himself get carried away by the pizza. The pizza box was torn and thrown across the room after every ounce of meat and cheese and grease had been leached from it. The television was on. On it, a puppet was telling a group of kids about the number six. Suddenly, the oven caught on fire. A small pizza inside had gone unattended for too long. Thomas released the crank and made for the emergency exit. Before he could lay his hands on the handle, the flames from the oven encircled him. So, click the link in the description and join us today. Stay. And remember, nothing is real.